Lord, so thankful for the opportunity it is to be here this morning, um, to be able to worship and uh, give you the honor and praise that you deserve and that you're worthy of, God. Uh, thank you for just the uh, precious gift it is to lift our voices with our brothers and sisters to you and, and to be reminded of uh, how majestic you are. And God, this is just a, a taste of how, how good you are, of your goodness, Lord. Um, how great it will be to sing with a myriad of angels in heaven, uh, declaring your name um, all our days, Lord. We, we look forward to that day. Um, Lord, we just pray for this message. We pray for this time in your word that it would encourage us and strengthen us, that it would quicken our hearts to, um, to trust in you, uh, to, to cling to you in all things. And so, Holy Spirit, we just ask for your direction and, um, yeah, your, your words to be spoken. Uh, over mine, and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so judges, uh, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, before uh, getting a stomach bug and taking a, taking a day off last week, thanks for covering everybody, um, uh, judges has two introductions that we start out with. So a couple weeks ago, we went over the first introduction to the book, and now we're going over introduction part two. So most books come with one introduction, uh, but this comes with like, maybe it's like, maybe you can think of it like an author's note, and then an introduction, and then we're starting the book. Maybe you can think of that that way. But anyway, um, our second kind of intro to the book of Judges is here in chapter 2, verse 6, down to chapter 3, verse 6. Um, just for, you know, so you know, I don't think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but author-wise, we don't really have, like, a person pegged down as the author of Judges. Could be Samuel, could be, you know, a scribe somewhere. We don't know, unnamed scribe, we're not sure. Um, probably at the time, uh, just pre-king, pre, pre the time of kings, so, like, just before David and Saul, uh, that era, Samuel's era. Um, time frame's like 1200 to 1100 B.C., uh, in terms of the writing, most likely. Um, so just some things I don't think I mentioned a couple weeks ago. Um, again, just to remind you as you read through this, there's 400 years of rest in the land throughout Judges that is listed, but there's only 200 or so years in the span of the book. And so when you read those, the Lord gave rest for this many years, it's regional, okay? So that region had rest for that many years after that story, and this region had rest for that many years after that story, and so on and so forth. So We'll kind of walk through that as we go throughout Judges, but um, today we're jumping into, again, this second introduction, and, you know, just to let you know, uh, the story of Judges is rough. Like, I mean, basically, the long and short of it is, uh, the Lord calls them to obey, and they don't, okay? And they rebel and run away from the Lord, just over and over and over again. And so, this introduction is talking about that cycle, that the Lord gave them this land, and that instead of serving the Lord, they turned from him. And that this resulted in some changes throughout their, uh, their, their people. So we'll be walking through that. Uh, but it, it made me think of inheritance. And uh, anyway, I don't have like a big inheritance coming to me in, in that regard or anything. But, um, but it made me think about things we have inherited, right? Like we kind of take for granted where we've come. Especially in our American culture, we think, man, I've made myself into what I am. Like, you know, especially if you've been successful, you're like, hey, I did this, like, this is me, I, my strength has gotten me here and given me these opportunities and that kind of thing. And we tend to quickly forget uh, where we've come from and what's brought us to this place. 
like for better or for worse, okay? I'm not saying there aren't things in your past from your family history that you want to forget or maybe should like cast aside, uh, but you have to take stock of your past and go, I'm here because of something. Someone gave birth to my mom and dad, and my mom and dad gave birth to me, and here we are, right? Like we're, this is, I didn't just appear out of thin air, right? I didn't just appear here in clear water, just like God just manifest me here, and now I'm here. Like that's not what happened, right? There's a story to why I'm here. And it goes back, like beyond actually our comprehension, right? Like I, I don't know if anybody's tried to do genealogy work. Anybody tried to do a lot of genealogy work? Okay, like go figure out where you're, yeah. I haven't done a lot myself, okay? Uh, we have a guru in our family that's got it all mapped out on one side, you know, for whatever that, but, um, but I will remember this uh, about my heritage, and you may have some heritage too that you remember, but I remember this about my heritage recently, I mean in the past, recently I say in the past like 15, 20 years, my mom got on a kick of finding old photos that she had stored, and as Christmas gifts, giving them to us in like a reprinted artistic way, which was cool, right? Like framing an old photo that we maybe didn't value or see that often or whatever. And one that I'll remember and continue to remember is uh, my, of my great-grandpa. And my great-grandpa was a farmer in western Oklahoma and south- southwestern Kansas. And it was a picture of him on top of a combine, probably troubleshooting some sort of issue that's going on with the tractor at the time and like figuring out what's going on. All these men are standing around this tractor. And like, I'm so far removed from that lifestyle, you know what I mean? Like, we don't, we don't have to go out and like plant the seeds and till the soil and all this stuff. But just two generations before me, that was life. Hoping that the rain came in, right? Hoping that it didn't hail on the crop. Hoping that a tornado didn't tear up your field. Hoping that the price was right when you went to sell it. All that kind of thing, right? What trust? Um, and so my grandpa inherited that farm and continued to farm in western Oklahoma. And he had four boys. Uh, they had... Uh, six total, uh, a, a set of twin girls that passed away in birth, um, and then four boys. And the four boys continued to farm, except for my dad. Uh, my dad left the farm and came to Stillwater, Oklahoma, where I grew up, and began a degree in college, first one to graduate college, and his family um, got a degree in accounting, and then I inherited the accounting gene, I guess, I don't know. Anyway, but that's my heritage, right? Like, that's my story. That's, that's how I got to where I was, like, family-wise, right? And we all have that, and it's very easy for us to forget all those things and how all those things add up to who we are and pour into who I've become today, right? What we're going to see in the story of Israel is that this generation has forgotten. They've forgotten where they came from. They've forgotten the things that the Lord has done the circumstances that the Lord orchestrated in the lives of their parents and their grandparents and their great-grandparents. They have forgotten those ways. And now they're thinking, we're here. We've got the land. We're going to do as we see fit. And we'll see at the end of Judges that this is how the refrain ends. And there was no king in the land, and the people did as they saw in their eye, what was right in their own eyes. And so this is... Again, we'll jump into this second introduction, uh, verses 6 to 10, starts like this. Uh, Ha, that's Joshua. That's Joshua. Great. All right. Hold on. That's not Judges 6. And hold on. Or Judges 2. 
Let's go to Judges 2, shall we? <laughs> Judges 2, 6 says this. All right, so it's not on the screen, but we're good. When Joshua dismissed the people, you've got Bibles here if you want to grab them or your phones or whatever. Uh, when Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in timnath Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. So the whole generation passed away. Verse 10. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. <clears throat> Joshua, you know, at this, this beginning of this introduction, again, this is why we say this is a second introduction, because you might have remembered that in the last introduction, Joshua was already dead. So... <laughs> Right. starting another introduction where Joshua's back alive again. He didn't like raise from the dead. We're just starting a new introduction to the book, okay? So Joshua, before he dies, dismisses all the people to the inheritance. You know, remember, during the conquest, Joshua and the people conquested the land. They went through the land. And Israel is how big? How big is Israel? The size of what state? New Jersey. New Jersey. So it's not, this isn't a big, this isn't like, this isn't America in size. This is pretty small, really. So they conquered all the inheritance they'd been given. Uh, so each of them, well, I should say, they took land in every area that they were to inherit. They did not complete the conquest of the land. And we were told that that would not be the case because if they destroyed it all, that the land would not be able to produce properly. So there was a promise from God back Deuteronomy, Leviticus, you can look back up at this, um, that he wasn't going to give it all to them in one year, that it was going to be slow. The Lord was going to slowly give them the whole land. Uh, but they're going to continue to have to obey the Lord in conquesting the land as he called them to do, you know, battle to battle. So he dismisses the people to their inheritance, uh, and that whole generation serves the Lord, right? This is a generation that walked across a river together, like millions of people walked across a river that the Lord stopped from flowing so they remember walking across dry land in a, in a river, right? They remember the, the walls of Jericho falling on their own when they blasted trumpets. They remember the battle of Ai when someone sinned and that didn't work out so well and that sin was found out and confronted. They remember these battles that they went through and what the Lord had done and how powerfully it was the Lord working in these battles, not them. So they remember these things. And another generation comes along who did not know the Lord nor the work that he had done. There's a gap, right? There's a gap between this generation and the next. Somehow, right, and we don't know. We, we really have no way to very well tell. Did the parents not do a good job of transmitting the information? Did the parents not do a good job of living out the information? Uh, did the kids receive the information and rebel against it? Like, we we don't know, right, where the gap is between this generation served the Lord and knew his ways, and this generation did not serve the Lord and did not know his ways. But there's a gap here from generation to generation. 
this gap, this not knowing the Lord, not knowing his ways, and not knowing the work that he had done, not like remembering how powerful it was that these people survived and came through, right? Not remembering that, setting that in your mind and in your heart throughout your days. This is what results in what we call the judge's cycle. Uh, The judge's cycle is described in chapter 2, verses 11 to 23. And it's a long passage. I'm going to read through chunks of it at a time. But three basic points. The people did what was evil, okay? Uh, The Lord raised up judges. And the people didn't listen to the judges, eventually, when the judges died, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. Okay, so this cycle is happening. So the first part of the cycle, the people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, verses 11 to 15. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. They served the Baals, a, a, a god of war, a god of uh, power. And they served the Ashtaroth, a, a god of fertility, a god of their love, or whatever you're going to put it like that. Uh, kind of a male and female god among the, among the peoples of the land. They served these people instead of serving the Lord. And so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to their plunderers, who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of the surrounding enemies, so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. And whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. It's very easy for us, as we think about Israel, as we think about the Old Testament, as we think about even our lives, and wanting to apply the Lord's goodness to ourselves, to just cling to the things he's promised for our good, and go, God always promises us good things, right? He's just going to give me good stuff, regardless of anything. Like, he, I'm his child, so he's going to give me good stuff. We actually get this mindset into ourselves, and that's exactly what the people of Israel did, um, that the, the, they forgot that there were consequences to not serving the Lord. Uh, the Lord lines these out throughout Deuteronomy and Leviticus that if you follow me, if you worship the Lord God Almighty, then I will fight for you. This was a conditional agreement, okay? Their salvation, corporately, and our salvation isn't conditional, okay? But this war, this inheritance of land, actually was conditional. And so as they obeyed the Lord, the Lord fought on their side. As they served a different God, guess what? It says the Lord fought against them. As he had warned, the Lord was against them for their harm. We have to remember that the Lord has given promises and consequences to this people, whether they're going to follow or whether they're going to not. And sometimes we forget the second part and say, oh, there's never any consequences for the people of Israel. There are. If you don't serve the Lord God Almighty, then the land uh, becomes overrun with your enemies. And that is the case. The people did what was evil and served the Baals. They did not serve the Lord, and they provoked the Lord to anger. Judges 16, uh, 2, 16 to 19, the Lord, when this happens, um, 
He'd turn them over to their uh, enemies, and he'd see them, and he'd raise up judges. And, and it says this in verses 16 to 19. Then, after them doing, the Lord, or doing, uh, doing evil and the Lord kindling his anger against them and fighting against them, then the Lord would raise up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked who obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after their other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. It's important to point out here, and we kind of sung, we sung uh, the song about the Lord hearing our cry, right? You heard my cry, and he answered me, right? Something important to point out as we walk through Judges. Again, this is an introduction for the whole book, so we're going to see this cycle repeated over and over and over again with every Judge story, okay? And this is, this is the thing. The people of Israel during this time frame never repent. There's, there is no repentance in this 200-year time. They, they don't repent from serving the gods. If you listen to this section, uh, it says, Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of the plunders. They did not listen to the judges. So the Lord raised up judges to save them, but the people did not even listen to these judges that the Lord brought. It says instead in verse 19, they didn't drop any of their practices or any of their stubborn ways. After the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers. One of the commentators I'm reading quoted this. He said, none of the conflicts in the book of Judges involve conquest of new territory. Each battle is concerned with throwing off the yoke of an oppressor. So think about the inheritance of the land. They've taken some of the land, not all of it, right? Every tribe has established a part of their land, except for the Dans. They didn't actually get any of their land. We'll talk about that later. Um, every, every tribe's got some of their land. But they didn't get any more. None of the conflicts during this period gained new ground. It's all about defending that little bit they got in the initial conquest, Okay? They go in with Joshua, conquest a part of land, everyone gets a part of their inheritance, and this whole 200 period, they're stuck where they're at. And the enemies are fighting against them, and they're fighting off these corruptions. So the people do evil on the side of the Lord. The Lord raises up a judge to come and save them from their oppressors. The people don't repent. Okay, they're not crying out to the Lord. And when the judge dies, they go back to their ways even worse. Okay. So, what's the result? The people are evil. The judges come and save them. They still don't follow the Lord. And verse 20 to 23 uh, says that the anger of the Lord was kindled again. 
Verse 20, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he said, because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua corporately. Joshua has passed away, right? So. So the anger of the Lord is kindled against them. And this is where we find ourselves throughout the rest of the book of Judges, is that the people are in this cycle of rebellion and sin. And God, during this time, has said, okay, you're going to serve the Baals and Ashtoreths, then I'll leave the Baals and Ashtoreths there with you. And we'll be walking through this battle and talking about whether, whether you're going to trust me or whether you're going to trust yourself. He leaves these nations this whole time to test them and to try their hearts. Verses 1 to uh, 4 expand on this test that, he's, uh, that he has for his people. Uh, chapter 3, verse 1 to 4 says this, the re- speaking of the remaining nations. Now these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them, that is, all in Israel who had not experienced the wars in Canaan. It was only in order that the generation of the people of Israel might know war, to teach war to those who had not known it before. These are the nations, the five lords of the Philistines and the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the Hivites who lived on Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon as far as Lebo Hamath. They were for the testing of Israel to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. So he left these nations. Okay, you're not going to serve me. I'm leaving these nations. That you will know the way the Lord works. That you know the way of war with the Lord. Okay, every story of a judge, it's, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful story, actually. Like a powerful story. One man saving the, the nation or the people from many obstacles by, by means that are, uh, that are miraculous. Okay? And so... The Lord is showing them. They don't remember walking through the Jordan. They don't remember the fall of Jericho, apparently. It's not in their hearts. And so he says, okay, I'm going to leave you to battle these nations again. And you'll see the way the hand of the Lord works. In spite of what strength you think you might need, I'm going to show you how the Lord works once again. He's going to teach them the way of warring with the Lord. So first, that they might know the way of war with the Lord. And second, to determine if they will obey. To determine if they will obey what the Lord has commanded them. He's going to lead these nations here to test their hearts, to know whether they will obey the commands and covenant with the Lord once again. Verse 5 and 6 is um, the conclusion from the beginning. You know, you might... And if you're writing an introduction to a book or something, you might give a clue of how this is going to end. And, and he does this right here, verses 5 to 6. At the end of this period of time, after 200 years of this rebellious cycle, this is where we're at. This is where we will find ourselves. Judges 3, 5, and 6. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And their daughters took to themselves, uh, and their daughters they took to themselves for wives. And their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they served their gods. 
The Lord left these nations there to test the people of Israel, to know if they would uh, follow the Lord or not. And instead, three things happen. The people of Israel live among the nations. They live among them. They take on their ways. They're influenced by the world. Second, they marry among the nations, right? They make agreement and covenant with these nations. And finally, they begin to serve the gods of these nations. They lived among them, they married among them, and they served their gods. They failed the test. Okay, so that was like a whirlwind of things. I know there was a lot we just covered. It's really a 200-year summary, okay? So just sit with it for a minute. Um, The judges cycle, we're just going to see it over and over and over again. Every judge, the Lord's going to raise up. Um, And so there's a few things I want us to take away um, from this passage as we kind of fast forward it to our time. And the first is this. Do we remember... Do you remember what the Lord has done for you? Do you remember what what he's done for you? Right? Like, we so quickly forget, like, our testimony. (laughs) When did you first come to meet Jesus? Come to know that you're a sinner. That, like, there is no way for you to stack up enough good deeds to satisfy a holy God in this lifetime that you can't do it, that you're incapable of achieving that, right? When was it that you realized, man, I am totally in desperate need of a Savior. Like, I can't jump the gap between what it is to be holy God and where I'm at. There's just no way I can cross over there. Because, like, I can't go back and change my past, right? I don't know if anyone's got a time machine yet. Anyone found the DeLorean? I know. Okay, cool. Yeah, I can't do that, right? And, and you know, and I know that in my heart are dark thoughts and dark ideas that are broken and ruined every day we battle this. And so I'm not even perfect in my thoughts today, right? And as much as we try, man, I don't know if anybody's ever tried to start a new habit. Right? It's not easy. And so do you remember what the Lord has done for you? That, that the Lord Jesus showed up through you, to, to you. That someone came and said, listen, I want to tell you about Jesus. You know, he came down to earth as a man. He lived among us and lived a perfect life. And at the end of that perfect life he lived, he died on a cross for you. That you, the sinner that, that knows they can't make up enough good deeds to come into heaven, can be there not by what you did, but by what Jesus did. By his blood, by his sacrifice. And so do you remember that testimony in your life? And, and is it a part of your day? And from that point to this point, do you remember all the things that God has done from when you came to know him and to where you are now? His constant provision, his constant protection, his hand guiding, his spirit leading. Do you remember what the Lord has done? Do we remember what he's done? And so if we do, let's testify to the next generation. 
let's be sure that like these kids at least hear it, right? And that those among us hear it that haven't heard it. Let us be about, let's be a people that's about preaching, proclaiming, showing, living out what Christ has done for us. Because there's no one that's done what Christ has done. You can search the world over. There isn't anybody that's done what Jesus has done. And so we have to speak of it. Um, We have to speak of how the Lord saved us. We have to speak of how the Lord has taught us. We have to speak of what the Lord has called us to. Again, like running back to the Part of the first part of this intro, we don't know, right? We don't know why there's a gap between one generation and the next. We know Joshua's generation served the Lord, and we know the next generation did not serve the Lord, okay? But we, as a generation, have control over one part of that equation, right? And that is to be sure that we do our part to pass on to this generation what they ought to know about the Lord Jesus and what he's done. We've got to do that part, okay? And any parent that's parented knows it's really hard to control your kids to do what they're supposed to do. Is any, yeah, right? Anybody ever achieved control over their children? Yeah? These kids are doing actually pretty good today. It's pretty good. Anyway, um, we can't pass down obedience, right? Obedience comes from each individual. Our kids have to choose to obey the words we share to them, okay? Our kids have to choose to obey, man, yeah, I think I do need to follow Jesus. That's a decision that they're going to have to make. But man, let us not fail on the first part of making sure the message is shared, making sure the message is lived out, making sure it is shown. Let's do our part of making sure that the next generation knows and hears what the Lord has done, and to live it out. Second thing, and really goes along with the first in terms of showing it, is this question for us. Are we walking in the ways of the Lord or not? It's really simple. There's two cycles we can be on. We can be on a cycle of faith, or we can be on a cycle of rebellion. The cycle of faith looks like this. Anybody guess it? Can anybody guess it? Anybody, can anybody guess the... Ha! Oh, yes! You saw it coming. Repent and believe. Okay? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. The faith cycle is repent and believe. You might have thought that it was like just the first time when you came to say, be saved and find Jesus, right? Repent and believe. That's the first time. I, I gave my life to Christ back in 1990, whatever it was, three, no, 1990. Ah, yeah, 1990. Straight. I gave my life to the Lord in 1990, and since then, I've never repented and believed. Is that a good cycle? Nah, 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 nah. Man, every day, turns out every day seems like I need to repent okay, and cast aside the lies of the enemy and believe again on the truth of Lord Jesus, okay? So the faith cycle is one of repent and believe. But the rebellion cycle is what we see in Judges. It's the sin 
Okay, come to sin. Okay, both cycles start with, man, I came to a moment where I realized I'm a sinner. Okay, I've, I've, I've messed up, right? Am I going to repent and believe in Jesus? Or am I going to go, well, I messed up, so I might as well keep messing up. Maybe because it feels good. Maybe because I'm uh, ripped with shame and guilt because of what I've done. Maybe because people aren't going to think of me. Well, whatever it is, whatever the reason you're giving yourself at that point, okay, is not repentance. It's rebellion. And it's believing and it's listening to lies instead of truths. Okay? Anyone know, anyone that is like worked through an addiction or a battle with sin knows that, man, when you mess up on that journey, okay, you come to that point where you're messed up and you're overwhelmed because you're like, man, I've been fighting this for I don't know how many years now. Okay? When is it ever going to change? And lies start coming into your head that say, you're never going to change. Jesus didn't pay enough for you. And, and you've messed up enough that now that no one's ever going to accept you anymore. These lies come in. The devil tells you these things in your head. You know what I'm talking about. Everybody knows what I'm talking about? Yes? Okay? Like you sinned and you're like, yep, messed up. There's no more, I'm not, no more hope, right? Those are lies. And they send us on a rebellion cycle where you say, I'm never going to be good enough because I keep sinning. When you come to a moment where you've sinned, you have to come back to this faith cycle. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus. I was challenged with James chapter 4 when I was reading through this point, and it says this, What causes quarrels and what causes fighting among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to make a, be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. This is what they were doing in the time of Judges. They were becoming friends with the world, and it made them enemies of God. Or do you suppose it is with no purpose that Scripture says, He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Man, back to the judge's cycle, the people never repented, okay? The Lord's mercy on this people was not because of their repentance, but rather because of his pity toward them. He did so out of his heart for his people that he had saved. He says, I love you so much, and it hurts me so much as your Father in heaven to see you hurting this way. And so I'm going to come down and help you and save you, and I pray that you'll respond in obedience and see my power. And they don't. Throughout Judges, he doles out mercy upon them, not because of their repentance, but because of his fatherly love for them. Praise God that he gives us such mercy. He yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us. He is jealous over your whole soul, your whole spirit. He wants the whole thing. He is jealous for it. And so, 
Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We make sin really complicated. We make this battle really complicated, but it's, it's literally this verse. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You don't have power to defeat evil spirits on your own. You have power to defeat evil spirits by the blood of Christ Jesus. Resist the devil in the blood of Christ Jesus, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Are we walking the ways of the Lord? Are we walking in repentance and belief? Or are we listening to the lies of the world and of our enemy and continuing in our sin? Finally, this question. What areas of our hearts are we commingling with the world instead of surrendering to the Lord? I've said it here many times. The purpose behind every circumstance the Lord allows and brings into your life is not primarily about reward and punishment. Okay? Sometimes we look at our walk with the Lord and we think, well, the Lord gave this to reward me because I did good. Or the Lord is punishing me now because I did bad. We literally have this thinking. And these circumstances that are in your life today, I don't know what you're walking through, okay? But the circumstances of your life are not here just primarily out of reward and punishment. Do rewards and punishment come out through wise living? Yes, that happens, okay? But that's not primarily what these circumstances are about. Every circumstance the Lord brings upon us is to test the devotion of our hearts. He wants our heart to be surrendered to Him completely and wholly. That's His whole desire, okay? If he allows things to be taken from you, it's about your heart. If he gives you things, it's about your heart. If he lets things just stay stable and the same, guess what? It's about your heart. Do you love him? Are you going to give your life to him and praise him for what he's done? And so, don't be like the people of Israel and judges falling into idolatry. They began to live among them, right? They lived among the nations. Instead of driving them out, as they were told, they said, eh, war's tough. We don't want to kill people. Let's just live here. God was judging these people for sacrificing children and worshiping other gods, okay? And he was using the people of Israel to do that, to be that judgment. And they decided it was too messy. It's kind of like super short story. <laughs> Make a long story short in a big way right there. But instead of doing what they were told, they were influenced by the world. They lived among them. Second, as they lived among them, they said, hey, these people are pretty cute. That guy's pretty handsome. Isn't this how this works? Living around each other, like, yeah, interesting. They got married. Marriage is a covenant, Okay? It's an agreement between two peoples to give your life to each other. It's pretty hard to give your whole life to someone if they're serving another God. Right? This is a very important thing. They married among them. And the result, finally, they served their gods. Are we going to be influenced by the world 
Are you going to be covenanting with the world? Are we going to worship the gods of our world? What areas of our life are we not surrendering to Him? I get it. It's hard um, because the Lord has put us here, right? We're in this place. And God, why have you brought me here, right? And we have to keep in mind that God has brought you here for a purpose. We talked about Acts 17 a number of times here. The Lord, Lord has directed your steps and he's put you here that others might call out to, you, to the Lord and know his name. Okay, we've talked about that before many times. Um, but just go back to the words of Jesus. John 17, 13 to 18, he's praying for them. He says, but now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Okay, God sent the people of Israel into the land to take it, okay? And he, I'm telling you, he sent you where you're at, not just so you could have a happy life and do whatever you want. I don't think I burst any people's bubbles there. I think everybody knows that, like, at least in this church, we are here on mission, okay? Your breath given to you, Paul says it, to live is Christ as a Christian. To live is Christ, to live is to do the work of Christ. So he's brought you where you are for the work of Christ. We are not of the world. We are in it. And so you have to, you have to listen to Holy Spirit, okay? Because you're going to have relationships with people that are in the world. And you have to know where that gray area, whatever, if you want to call it a gray area, or that dark line is for you. The Holy Spirit is really good at taking gray areas with this topic and making a very dark black line and going, I know it might not make sense to you, but this is where you stop and you stay right here. Okay? There's a lot of issues in our world, you know, whether it's content you absorb or food you drink, eat and drink, this kind of thing, where there's a question mark about where, where, where's the line, right? I'm just telling you. Holy Spirit is residing in you. And he's going to make a gray area really dark. Just one dark line for you to not step across. And so I challenge our hearts. Are we commingling with the world? Or are we truly surrendering ourselves to him? In the coming weeks, we're going to be walking through all these stories. And we're going to see this cycle over and over and over again. Where the people rebel and Lord sends a judge, an uncommonly powerful judge, a, a judge that, you know, wouldn't be thought to be the leader. Every time this person that he raises up is obscure, okay? They're, they're from a place that you wouldn't expect. We got a left handed man that wins a battle, we got a, a woman that leads a, a war in, in charge, we have uh, uh, Samson, who, yeah, that's a whole story. There's like a whole, whole bunch of stories of people that have some very interesting backgrounds and the Lord uses them to save the people of Israel. And so I challenge us this morning, 
Have we remembered what the Lord has done? Are we walking in His ways? And are surrendering our, surrendering our whole life to Him? Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for Your Word. We're thankful that um, it is faithful to challenge our hearts and to stir us up toward uh, love and good deeds. And God, we, um, we desire uh, greatly not to waste our lives. We know that every breath is a gift, that we're not promised the rest of today, we're not promised tomorrow, uh, we're not promised five years from now or ten years from now, we're not promised these things, these are gifts from you. And so God, we don't want to waste them, we want to use them for your glory, we don't want to waste the gifts you've given us um, in, in, in the church, we want to uh, stir each other up to our love and good deeds. And so, God, I just pray for our body that uh, you will be revealing and showing to us uh, the gifts you've given to this body. It's so beautiful. And that we would use them for the edification of the church and the building up of your body uh, in faith. And, Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes and open our eyes to why you have us where we are. You said to your people that you did not take them out of the world, that you put them in the world. Not that they would be of the world, but that they would be in the world. And so, God, you've put us in this world, this specific world, downtown Clearwater, Florida. You've put us here. And so we thank you for that, God. And we ask you to be revealing and showing to us what it is you desire for us to do as a body. Lord, we pray unity over this body. We pray that you would, um, yeah, encourage brotherly love, uh, Lord, and that you would uh, grow us together uh, the way only you can. But we repent. God, we repent. We're, we all know. We're looking at our hearts right now. And we know that this week has not gone perfect. We have messed up this week. I'm sorry to presume upon any of you, but I'm sure you messed up this week. I've messed up this week. We've all messed up this week. And so, Lord, we repent. And we believe in the only thing that can save us, the blood of Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would help us to proclaim this truth um, to our hearts, to our kids, to the world that is around us. And Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, to be led by your Holy Spirit. May we not um, be influenced by the world, but may we influence those you have put us around. May we not make covenant with the world. Let us only hold covenant with you. Lord, may we... Um, May we not serve any gods. If there's any idol in our hearts, we pray you would tear it away from us and that our idol, that our, that our worship would only be given to you. Our whole heart we desire to give you, Lord, and so we ask that you would do a work in our hearts. Um, Lord, we know that we can't do it. We can't do it on our own. And that in spite of us, you come and show up. And so we ask for that, God, that in spite of us, in spite of all the junk inside of us, that you would take our whole heart and use it for your glory and your kingdom. God, I pray you give us mercy and grace as we walk through all these stories of the judges. Help us to see your hand, your merciful hand, throughout these coming weeks. And may you be glorified in the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Um, we're 